Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can for $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, Pucks and Cups and From John to Justin, which you release on all podcast platforms every single week. Years ago, I used to live in a place called Rosslyn, British Columbia, and it was there that I first heard the story of the Duke of Bors. I heard it again when I lived in Saskatchewan, but I think a lot of people around Canada don't know the story of the Duke of Bors. And that's why books like Our Backs Warmed by the Sun, which was written by Vera Mayloff, are so important because they tell that story. They tell the story about the Duke of Bors being imprisoned and interned, and they tell the story about the people who came to Canada and helped change the fabric of the nation. So I'm going to get right to my interview with Vera, She wrote this book, it's a fantastic book, it's available online, and I will include a link for it in my show notes. So let's get right to it. I really enjoyed the book. It was, it was a really, really good read. Um, Before I went to BC and settled in Rossland, I didn't know about the Duke of Bors. And I think that might be quite common for anybody kind of outside of uh, British Columbia and that and that region. So kind of the first question is what inspired you to write the book? Well, I grew up with my grandfather. He, my grandparents lived next door. And uh, he was such a passionate man about, uh, you know, about peace and justice, making the world a better place. And I knew his history. He had, uh, he had participated in many peace marches during his time. He, uh, he was uh, very passionate about make, you know, making the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, in the 1920s and 30s, he actually you know, led a group of people to, to uh, protest against, for instance, he protested against taxes being used for war. Uh, and then what happened to him, I felt was really unjust because he served many years in jail mm-hmm. uh, for basically a peaceful march down Baker Street, six months the first time, the second time, three years in the in a maximum security prison, and it was unjust. Mm-hmm. And also, he was such a charismatic people that a person that people just flocked to him. And it, it you know, he had a lot of stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a good story too. I mean, it's something that needed to be written. 
Without a doubt, for sure. Was the process of research, was it difficult or your mother, who I believe has turned 100 years old last year, uh, was she like a yeah. great resource for, for all of this information from, uh, from you know, the 1920s, the 1930s? No, she was absolutely amazing because she had a wonderful memory for, you know, names, events, uh, uh, places, and just like her father, and she could tell those stories in detail. And uh, some of the stories she told me were absolutely incredible. It, it was hard to believe they took place in British Columbia and Canada at the time. So I wanted to research and, and uh, you know, check and the accuracy of all this. And I went to uh, Selkirk College, to UBC Library, and also to the, uh, the Nelson Touchstone's archives that had all the archives of the newspapers of the day. And those newspapers in that, in that day are amazing. They provide such detail of what happened. As you know, in the book, I, you know, when I researched this I thought wow this is really incredible how what kind of detail they don't do that in newspapers of the day it seems yeah they don't do that anymore I used to work in newspapers yeah. and we certainly don't go into detail as much as we used to yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it, was, it was amazing mm -hmm. they provided lots of information mm -hmm. and uh, I, I wanted my book to be accurate and historical and that's another reason I really dug into, you know, accounts from my mother's point of view, her siblings' point of view, and also what the newspapers of the day said, mm -hmm. and, and other people, so to make it accurate. It was very good. Uh, when we look at the Dukabor internment, um, obviously, most Canadians know about the Japanese-Canadian internment of World War II, and really any kind of internment is a terrible thing. But is the Dukabor internment, is just something that's kind of been forgotten in, in Canada, except uh, in regions like where you are uh, in the Kootenays, where, where it was a big part of the history? Well, uh, I think that the internment of the Sons of Freedom children in the 1950s, and 19, beginning in the 1960s, was quite a bit in the newspapers of the time. I mean, the shameful, sad pictures of children kissing their parents through the fence. That's the only way they could, uh, they could see each other and, and touch each other. I think that was in the news, but the, what is in the 1920s and 30s, what happened to my grandparents' generation, that was forgotten, wasn't spoken about. And, and it wasn't spoken about by, uh, by the, my mother either, because it was just too traumatic and they wish to forget it and carry on with their lives. And, and so I, I wanted to write about that and bring that out because uh, it was forgotten. And, and you're right, out of this region, uh, people don't know that much about Dukabors or what they do is mostly what they hear maybe about um, Sons of Freedom sect that uh, in, you did use uh, some burning and disrobing to to tell their story, but it didn't. The story didn't get clear. It was sensationalized just because of the disrobing and the uh, the burning, uh, mm -hmm. and the story behind it didn't get told. So I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe today is. Uh... 1899 uh, on this day was when the first group of Dukabors arrived in Halifax. Um, 
And then obviously they travel across the country. They settle in various places like Saskatchewan and, and BC. When we look back at the Duke of Boers, uh, what kind of impact have they had on, on Canada, do you feel, on our, on our history? Mm-hmm. Well, um, first of all, they were pioneers in the areas they settled. They came to Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta. They developed, uh, they developed the land there. They developed farms, villages. They, uh, uh, they actually set up uh, like telephone systems in that day, which was amazing, roads and railroads. And uh, they built sawmills and brick factories, flour mills. So uh, they helped pioneer Canada at that time. Um, and then later on, uh, I've, I feel that they helped with other pacifists, of course, Mennonites, Hutterites, uh, some Norwegian sects. They helped develop a pacifistic um, belief in Canada. There was a ground, like sort of a ground uh, breaking uh, belief that that perhaps peace is the way to solve uh, situations, a dialogue rather than going to war. Um, yeah, I think that was part of it. And uh, also, I, I wanted to mention the Sucker College uh, Peace and Justice Program that Duke of Boer's, it's based on Duke of Boer idealism. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's quite an active program. People come from all over the world to study in that program. One really thing, really cool thing I liked about your book was when you were looking at the the history of your family, and especially because they were down in California and moving up into Canada, they came across some very uh, prominent individuals. I think um, uh, Leo Tolstoy's son, uh, your grandfather knew. And then there was the doctor whose name unfortunately escapes me, uh, who was kind of like a, a, a herbalist doctor. He And he lived to like hundred or something like that. Uh, so your, your grandfather knew him. And then I believe it was your great grandfather knew Gandhi or somebody in the family knew Gandhi. Right. Father did. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah was it kind of, was it cool to find out these cool connections to some, some major people in history? Mm-hmm. It was really cool. It, it wasn't a huge surprise because when I was growing up with my grandfather, I was in charge of going to get the uh, mail at the post office and I'd carry home big bundles of uh, letters and uh, journals and he had the biggest uh, mailbox in the Thrums post office <laughs> and uh, you know they would be from all over the world and he, also he was quite a outgoing character he wasn't afraid of approaching people and uh, and talking to them so he he corresponded and met with uh, pacifists and vegetarians and philosophers from all over the world but for instance when he was in California he he approached uh, was it uh, uh, the philosopher oh now what is his name uh, it was a doctor uh, huh, anyway his name escapes me <laughs> but he he met, met he met all these people and just you know would uh, through connections, he would uh, get invited to their places and uh, and talk to them. And they were, because he was a Dukabor, I think that also opened doors for him. Um, and then for instance, uh, Gandhi, he just wrote to him and he wrote back. And yes, that was pretty amazing. Yes. And then at home, <laughs> yeah. so that was through his correspondence. Amazing, like in this day, it would be through the internet. And though mm-hmm. in that day, it was 
through writing letters and through the post office. But also <laughs> people came to him and visited him at home. And, uh, you know, uh, people like the one that wrote the, uh, the Back to the Land uh, movement, he, they came and visited and, uh, uh, and met, he met people that way. So it was pretty, mm -hmm. it was pretty amazing. And then a lot of uh, people escaping the, the draft in the United States uh, during the, the Vietnam War as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was on sort of like the railway <laughs> line and <laughs> people would stop in and they'd stay a while. They, you know, grandparents would feed them and they'd, you know, counsel them, talk to them. And they were sort of, he felt that the draft resistors were sort of the conscience of America and he helped him out whichever way he could. Mm -hmm. Some of them lived with our family for uh, several months. And some of them, he directed them, for instance, to Argenta, further down the uh, uh, down the valley, where they stayed with the Quaker uh, families. Mm -hmm. So some in the Slocan Valley with other Dukabur families. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was a cool addition into the into the book uh, to to add the 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 uh, I don't want to call them draft dodgers, but uh, the, the people who were escaping the draft, especially the one guy who came in and uh, it, you know your your grandfather kind of thought he had a whole bunch of girlfriends, and then later in the book you kind of write that. Uh, when you, after you interviewed him, you know, he's saying like, well, no, it was only like these three people and they were kind of just friends. And it was kind of nice to, to catch up with him so many years after he had interacted with your family. Yeah, that was sheer luck because I wanted to uh, connect with Len uh, Walker, mm -hmm. but was not able to. And then finally, when I met uh, a fellow draft resistor, he was able to use the internet and find a mailing address. <laughs> so I mailed him and he sent uh, a letter back saying, wow, he doesn't get mail often anymore. But, <laughs> but uh, he remembered the Mallow family and my grandfather very well. And in fact, when he was helping in Sri Lanka, he, he remembered that grandfather suggested that he go there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he dedicated his, the book he wrote about Sri Lanka to grandfather partly. So yeah. I thought that was amazing that 50 years later, he could, uh, <laughs> he still remembered him very well. He was still sort of like a mentor to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a really nice part of the book that I, I quite enjoyed. Uh, we we kind of talked about the uh, the Duke of Bor internment and being remembered. But why do you feel like, uh, like you said, especially in the 1920s, 1930s, why more Canadians don't know a lot about the, the Duke of Bors, the Duke of Bor movement, even just the, the immigration of the Duke of Bors? Mm -hmm. Well, what I've read about the time when the Dukaburas came to Canada, it was in the newspapers and Canada welcomed, welcomed them wholeheartedly. Um, and then in the 20s and 30s, when they were being uh, incarcerated, what happened, I know Nancy, Nancy uh, 
her name is hard to pronounce. Uh, she's written in the back of my book. She's a, a professor in the Department of History and University of Calgary. And she believes that because the Dukobors are really marginalized because first of all, they were objecting to war and, pass and uh, wanted to be pacifists during the World War I, World War II, when it was very unpopular to do that. And also that, um, that it was seen as very unpatriotic. And then also they lived together communally and they were seen, that was sort of equated with communism. Mm-hmm. And communism was, um, you know, the, the evil of that time, evil <laughs> against even though they weren't communists, but that's what they were uh, seen as. So, yeah, but it does still surprise me that the Japanese internment is spoken about. Mm-hmm. So I think partly it's because uh, the Dukabors did not write many of their own stories. And, and so that's what I'm, I'm glad to write my story about my family and, and their experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of leads into my next question then. What do you hope people get out of reading your book? Uh, I hope that they develop an understanding of the Duke of Wars, uh, what, they, um, what they sort of suffered. Um, that it took a long time for the Duke of Wars story to come mm-hmm. out. It took perseverance and, mm-hmm. and um, that it was, they have to see beyond what the headlines were, because I know even now the headlines uh, could totally distract one from the truth about things. Let's say the immigrants coming in today. Uh, the headlines of that time were about the Sons of Freedom sect and they did not talk about the other groups of Dukabors, the, com- the community Dukabors, the independent Dukabors that were not uh, that were not using uh, protesting violently. They were protesting peacefully and uh, that developing, you know, thinking about developing peaceful means to solve problems. Um, many people, even uh, some teachers, I, I was a teacher and in the Slocan Valley, and I've talked to some of my teacher friends, and they said they wished they had read this book before they, uh, they taught in the Slocan Valley because it uh, made them understand the families so much more understand what happened there. Um, and also people have started to research their own history and write some of that down. So that's been a, a sort of a blessing. People have uh, phoned me and talked to me and says, you know, this has really inspired me to, to write my family story. And, and I'd like to get more information. I'm lucky my mother lived to 100, so I still could talk to her. But some of theirs, it's harder to get mm-hmm. the information and piece it together. That's definitely a bonus having, having your mother who, who lived through so much of it and with such a great memory, uh, especially because she was remembering like conversations and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and I can barely remember mm-hmm. what I said last week, let alone, you know, 80 years ago. So that was a really great part of the book. Uh, in regards to people reading the book, what's the response been like? Uh, have a lot of people kind of said that they really enjoyed it? Like you said, people have uh, been getting in touch and saying that it's inspired them to, to research their own history. Mm-hmm. Well, for instance, some people have been filling in missing pieces. I don't know if you know journalists, uh, um, Greg Nesteroff, he's contacted me and said, oh yes, this uh, Volcan Valley tennis court was uh, 
is something that I'm researching also, and I haven't been able to find it. But I do know where the um, where the telegraph office was in Spokane at that time, and and he told me that. Another person, it was really interesting. Just the other day, uh, a person, a friend, contacted me and said there is a story in the book about my great grandmother and how she had her portrait painted by uh, uh, Dr. Christie's wife in trail. <laughs> and she contacted uh, Dr. Christie's daughter and she asked, you know, where has this portrait gone? It'd be so amazing to have that portrait because uh, the daughter said this was the best, best portrait that her mother ever painted. <laughs> and she was like, I searched for it. So just things like that. And people, uh, are really pleased that I wrote sort of a, an unbiased story of the Dukaboras, one from from the from a family of Dukaboras that experienced mm -hmm. a lot. And uh, I guess the last question is, what can we learn about the Dukaboras and their experiences? The you know they they've held firm to their beliefs. Uh, they went through great adversity, uh, especially in the early twentieth century, and and kept persevering and prospering. So what can we learn from them? Yeah, well, for instance, I think the Dukabor creeds, um, they're based on Christian and universal prin principles, like toil and peaceful life, treat, simple things like treating um, others as one wishes to be treated oneself, mm -hmm. respecting the par a spark of God within each person, and thou shall not kill. That's a major tenant of mm -hmm. all Christian beliefs and Dukaboras exemplified it. Uh, and they continued to exemplify it and persevere with that even though they were sent to jail for, uh, for asking that the taxes be directed toward peaceful means rather than to military mm -hmm. or, um, uh, yeah, so I think just those simple principles are something that uh, people could learn and, and stay to. I mean, I think our, our country does believe in those principles. They just have to uh, show them, <laughs> exemplify <laughs> them in, in the politicians and things. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I did want to add one more thing. Sure, uh, of course. My mother was, uh, was very instrumental in, in getting all the information. But also my grandfather wrote a book and it was amazing to read his story. And I used a lot of his book as a resource material for what I wrote too. So I'm hoping to, um, to get that book published in English. Right now it's uh, published in Russian. And of course, many people don't uh, read the Russian anymore. <laughs> no. so, yeah, I think that that was an amazing resource. It just brought my grandfather's thoughts and uh, his ideas and his passion forward for me because I still could read Russian going to going to school in Russian school evenings. That helped. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Vera Mailoff. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to Patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Lori Ann Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, 
Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. As well, you can find me on Facebook. Just search for Canadian History X. Remember, that's EHX. I'm on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C R A I G B A I R D. And don't forget, you can find me on Instagram. Just search for Bairdo37. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.